Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Garskatting coming to you live from North Carolina. And today we want to continue on our journey through Ezekiel 33 and seeing the duties of a watchman as we reestablish this anointing here in this season, in the month of Keslev. And we also want to dive into uh, some high-level discussions and praying for uh, some things that Biden administration is going over and, and staying focused. Yes, there's the cultural news and a lot of things happening on that front, but but there's why we're here is to be aware of some things this administration is going through, decisions before them, and pray that they have the fear of the Lord moving forward. Now, obviously, yesterday we saw uh, the unfortunate passage out of the Senate of the Disrespect of Marriage Act. I have some uh, things I want to read from there from some thought leaders uh, that I think will bring some interesting perspective and, and looking at both sides of that as well and then diving into other news as well. So first we want to dive into uh, our scripture passage of the day as we continue all along our journey in Ezekiel 33. And we want to pick back up right where we left off in I want to start in verse 11 to kind of go over reminding ourselves where we left off and then dive into the the following passage there. So we see in verse 11, we ended on this. It says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? And this is the Lord, you know, giving his warnings, calling out the sins so that The people of Israel, the house of Israel in this instance, and for us, as the Lord did to Zacchaeus, as the Lord did to many, uh, Jesus did to many others in the New Testament, the disciples, the apostles, everybody as well, in calling out sins, was not to punish them and sentence them to death, but more so to say, hey, this is not in accordance with what the Lord would, would want. Repent and turn from your wicked ways. And here's the result of that. And he says, and you son of man, Say to your fellow citizens, the righteousness of a righteous man will not deliver him in the day of his transgression. So if you were to sin, your righteousness of the past won't, meaning your good works won't. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he will not stumble because of it in the day when he turns from his wickedness, whereas a righteous man will not be able to live by his righteousness on the day when he commits sins. When I say to the righteous, he will surely live. And he so trusts in his righteousness that he commits iniquity. None of his righteous deeds will be remembered, but in that same iniquity of his which he has committed, he will die. But when I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and he turns from his sin and practices justice and righteousness, if a wicked man restores a pledge, pays it back, what he has taken by robbery walks by statutes which ensure life without committing iniquity. He shall surely live. He shall not die. That, I mean, that's that's Zacchaeus right there. 
we could probably say that's each and every one of us to some degree. It says, none of his sins that he has committed will be remembered against him, and he has practiced justice and righteousness. He shall surely live. Yet your fellow citizens say, the way of the Lord is not right. When it is their own way, that is not, it is not right. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, then he shall die in it. But In verse 19, but when the wicked turns from his wickedness and practices justice and righteousness, he will live by them. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not right. O house of Israel, I will judge you, each of you, according to his way. And, and the, big, the big thing out of this in its last passage, 17 through 20, is how, who are we, who is Israel, to ever question um, what God, to tell what God what is right or what is wrong? I mean, he is the Lord, the creator of the universe. We are the create, creation. He is the creator. And and obviously we're seeing here of when you go back to verse 13 where it talks about how, you know, when the Lord tells the righteous um, that he shall surely live, but then because of his pride, thinking that it's things that he's done, he goes therefore and, and commits iniquity. That that's what that will be the, the result of that pride there playing out. And so we just want to, again, humble ourselves in understanding and, and walking in that relationship. Even though in the past, if we have done things that is in accordance and walking with the Lord, is it still take into the future a humble mindset to know that, look, it, if you think you're the reason why you're doing these you know, righteous deeds, supposedly, that you could eventually trip up. But to be in that humble place, stay in that accordance with the Lord. And, and I'm saying this more so for myself than for anybody because um, this is just convicting, to say the least, um, to me reading this and going through this as we continue um, of understanding the duty of a watchman understanding the call of a watchman to speak what the Lord has, has told us, to not hold back, and, and more specifically, to declare that the Lord will establish the watchman anointing anew and afresh in each and every one of us and in the territories and under the authority that the Lord has given us here in this time and this season. So with that, we want to dive into the news and start off in... On the topic of Israel, and, and we've discussed this a little bit in regards to the fact that the Biden administration is trying to get Netanyahu to make sure certain people excuse me, aren't involved in the government the new government that is being formed by Netanyahu. Still no word of an actual formation. There are news reports out that they're getting ready. Um to swear everybody in, they're going forward with that, and there's really been silence out of Israel about what's going on. So what that tells you for Netanyahu, if you're Netanyahu, uh, we'll kind of play a role play game here, is you got people around you who you, who you can trust, who aren't going to leak information to the media. That's a, good, that's a good thing for Netanyahu, the fact that these negotiations aren't being discussed with the media. Um, it's quite rare in talks like this that are being pushed out as being so divisive. And they may or may not be. I think that's yet to be determined, but they're keeping it under wraps, which 
for Netanyahu in Israel is very good, especially with uh, the public stance from Iran to potentially go after and the spreading of weapons, which we've seen. But what I'm talking about is a, a report from the Washington Post, but the Jerusalem Post breaks it down. So I'm reading from Jerusalem Post, where there were two gentlemen, um, a for, former U.S. ambassador to um, Egypt, Daniel Kurtzer, and a U.S. negotiator uh, for different departments within the U.S. State Department, Aaron David Miller, who are both American Jews, who are basically saying that the United States, several things, the United States should support Israel but not sell it weapons, which is starting to become a bigger and bigger issue within the Democratic Party and um, a host of other things basically uh, allow for a two-state solution um, and also undermining the Abrahamic Accords, which that's not necessarily a bad thing when you actually look into it. There's the big thing of saying that the U.S. is boycotting um, certain members of this coal, the what is being called the um, Religious Zionist Party out of Israel, who they don't like because they want to um, stand up and do what they said and they campaigned on of supporting the people of the Negev and, and those regions that they're over. And what is what is interesting in this is Bob Menendez, who is actually a big supporter of Israel, said, told Netanyahu that, look, this partnership um, could shatter support for Israel in the United States, supposedly from the American Jews here, uh, which would be detrimental if that were to ever happen. I, I'm not – it's too early to tell if that will really, really happen. Is this just a threat that they're saying? Maybe, maybe not. Um, again, throwing in the Palestinian role within the equation. And then the, the big thing is the the push from people like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Senator Bernie Sanders, who would use this alliance with the uh, National Zionist Party or the Religious Zionist Party in Israel with Netanyahu to push for calls for to end arms sales to Israel, which would be detrimental for um, not only Israel, but uh, for us in, in, in a spiritual sense and a natural sense uh, to not support Israel. And, and this is this is how they're able to defend themselves with the Iron Dome and, and other weapons, etc. And, and, and what happens in those deals and these arms sales is all the money, we, we, we lend this money to Israel and in the, the bills, they're forced by the bill in, in accordance with the loan, if you want to call it that, to buy weapons back here in America. So it ultimately ends up helping um, the American economy, etc. So we say, oh, it's foreign aid, but it's really basically a loan to pay for things here in America. So um, it, it's quite disingenuous to sit there and say that, and as United, as United States and Israel are really the only, people want to call them democracies, republics, nations that allow freedom in this world, and especially in the Middle East for Israel, it is not giving them the support that they need as at a time we're getting into the United States a relationship and the negotiations with Iran and Russia to allow Iran and Russia to increase their nuclear weapons. You're seeing China grow their threat and North Korea. And I guess we reported earlier this week how Iran is moving weapons um, in and around Syria, more so in and around Israel to 
possibly launch attacks towards what they deem as military assets to cripple them, like what is happening in Ukraine. Um, so what potentially is happening in Ukraine could possibly happen in Israel, and if they don't have the weapons to be able to defend themselves, which is part of the reason why they don't want to give the, those weapons to Ukraine is because they're thinking of their own national security. God forbid something ever happened to them. They want to be able to protect themselves, unlike the United States, who is crippling themselves by giving everything to Ukraine right now. And so um, we just want to pray that the Biden administration hopefully don't listen to this wisdom because um, this public narrative from these type of officials are being pushed out. Um, there's a reason why. They want it to be pushed out to hopefully persuade the Biden administration. And tell, this tells you the in, inner circle's thought process on a host of issues like this and more so the far far left who have a very strong relationship with the Biden administration and some of them are those people. And so we just want to pray for the Biden administration to continue to stand with Israel and pray for the peace of, of Jerusalem and pray that Netanyahu is able to form this coalition before the deadline and possibly going into another election cycle, um, which would just be disastrous as, as even this transition period is, is being harmful and, and there's more and more um, terrorist attacks being put forward um, on the people, innocent people of Israel as well. Okay. Now, we've talked about the protests and things going on in China. And the statement made from the White House is simply this. It says, We've long said everyone has the right to peacefully protest in the United States and around the world. This includes the PRC. And that's pretty much what they say. They, they obviously say the COVID, uh, zero COVID policy um, is not something that should be pushed forward, even though we're trying to do it at the same time. Um, so that's what the Biden administration says. But I want to play this clip from DeSantis. Just to say, this is what the President of the United States should say, and leave it at that. Because I think as we move forward, is I want to see the relation, show the relationship of where this Biden administration is in alignment with China, and I think we're all aware of that. But where those other Americans who might possibly be running for the office of the president stand as well. So, and about what we've been seeing going on in China. Uh, this zero COVID policy uh, is draconian, uh, it violates people's liberties, and it is completely unscientific. And the people of China are right to be able to speak out and protest against what the Chinese Communist Party is doing. This CCP has a maniacal desire to exert total control over its population. Zero COVID is really just the pretext for them to do what they want to do anyways. And that is not a model uh, that can work over the long term. The people in China are finally speaking out uh, against it. And, and I just think we need these draconian uh, COVID policies to go to the ash heap of history where they belong. And this is obviously a very strong statement. He also gets into the concerning relationship that Apple has with the CCP and limiting some technologies within the iPhones that are, are in use from the Chinese citizens in China. And so and, and that plays at the state level because Apple, Twitter, social media companies, there are issues that they have with um, 
allowing free speech to occur. And for Apple, this seems to be their case of whatever country they in, they follow those laws of the land. They, they, they listen to the government. So in America, they allow free speech, uh, or more so, they'll protect um, citizens from the government who, are, who have asked Apple at times to basically go in the back end of the phone, and Apple's basically said no, whereas the same situation has happened in China, and they're like, oh yeah, we'll do it. And that's what's playing out here with Apple. Um, and that's concerning. And he, he eventually, DeSantis goes on to Tucker Carlson, is, is why do they do that? He asks the question, why do they do this? Um, this is horrible. Calls out Apple for this. Um, but this is interesting to see. Uh, I think you'll obviously see some statements like this from President Trump and others as well. Uh, but it was just a good clip to say, okay, this is what a strong leader who's standing up against China would and should say. And I think this is all credit goes to President Trump in an instance because he's the one who, for decades, has been calling out the problematic relationship with the United States and China. And so I think DeSantis is fruits of that. Not to say that Trump or DeSantis is better, but to say that, look, this is a, a good policy to understand um, politically to stand up and call out China where their opinions are restricting of freedoms and or in this instance draconian i think that's it's a a good assessment of the situation and i say this to say is look at what somebody like DeSantis is standing up to china like a trump is standing up to china versus those in other positions in republican party in the democratic party who may or may not stand with it where do they stand because this is an issue and whether they recognize it or not will determine um, the future of where this nation goes on that issue. Now, <laughs> on another issue, domestically, we see that the Senate passed the dis what is called the Respect for Marriage Act, but I'm calling it the Disrespect for Marriage Act because it completely redefines the definition of marriage on a legal standpoint, even though there's still the natural definition of marriage is only between one man and one woman. And I want to give you different perspectives, and I want to give some comments. Um, CNN are, is coming out and saying that the Senate just gave the LGBTQ Americans a reason to breathe easier. Um, this is obviously an opinion piece. I mean, it makes it a heartthrob of, uh, in my most vulnerable moments, I pictured having to tell my young child that his mom's marriage is no longer recognized. Um, it's, it's not a marriage, but that's a different, a different issue. And... It goes on to give an opinion about some things, and this is the key point here that some Republicans and a lot of people had problems with, is the fact that in this opinion piece, this um, writer from CNN, Allison Hope, says that the bill contains carve-outs for basically giving religious organizations and institutions the right to define marriage as between one man and a woman and refuse services to same-sex couples and families. Um, basically allowing them to hold, uphold the Religious Freedoms Restoration Act and being able to not serve those who they religiously disagree with. Again, this is a complete opinion. There are legal analysis from the Family Research Council. I'm going to put this link here because it goes in depth in some examples of how even before the passage of this bill, 
there were state and local municipalities who were going after adoption agencies, churches, businesses who were standing up against having to be forced to administer or minister to, in some instances, perform same-sex marriages or serve in their business capacities these same-sex marriages and they're being sued for it and taking on the, basically the federal government. And the issue at play here is that the what legal analysis is saying is that the way the bill is written and the amendment from Collins and Murkowski and all the above is that it leaves open to interpretation the federal government and whatever judge this case is sitting before and does not specifically say, like the League Amendment would, which would specifically say the government cannot go after an organization based upon their religious exemption status in such a case. But the bill from legal analysis is basically left open to interpretation. And in this article um, from the Family Research Council and their news organization, The Washington Stand, they give specific examples um, outlining there. And then also at the bottom, yes, there are the 12 Republican senators, but this has to go back to the House to get a final vote for confirmation. And that final vote um, will most likely show who the Republicans in the House who will vote for it. They don't need a single Republican vote to pass it, unfortunately. So it's most likely going to pass back in the House. But you also had 47 Republicans in the House vote for this as well. Um, so with that, you're going to see most likely this go back to the House, pass, and be signed by the president. Now, with that being said, and here's a list of the names. I'm not going to go through it. 47. Um, some key names is Burgess Owens. I thought he had more of a, a biblical moral backbone and standing than that. Um, you have, obviously, Liz Cheney, uh, Adam Kinzinger, who they're no longer going to be in these positions. Anthony Gonzalez is no longer going to be there as well in Ohio. And a lot of just no-name um, House representatives, unless they're in your district, who are voting for this. And so we see some concerning aspects of this. Both of the current senators here in North Carolina voted for this in Tom Tillis and Richard Burr, um, who is retiring. So this is very problematic. And the replacement, Ted Budd, here said, he said, I would not vote for this. Um, so that's quite interesting. And so now we're going to have to really reel with this. And Tony Perkins came out and, and basically said this. He said, Republicans clearly acknowledge by their support of the Lee, Langford, and Rubio amendments that this legislation is a threat to the First Amendment freedoms of individuals, yet 12 of 12 Republicans still chose to vote for the Disrespect for Marriage Act, uh, making, people's prime, making people prime targets for the government's harassment, investigations, prosecution, even civil action. This bill is a club which, with which the left will attempt to beat people of Orthodox faith, faith who believe not just Christians, Jews, Muslims as well, if they even dare consider um, to go after them, uh, which puts them in a conundrum of the whole, even what's going on in, in, in the World Cup right now, of we want to stand for gay rights, but we can't speak out against the Muslim nation because that would make us Islamic phobic. So there's this weird woke circle that they're going in. Um, and Tony Perkins continues to say, and as history has defined it into submission, uh, the destructive sexual ideology 
and basically continuing to bring about how, and he says this according to Ephesians, he says, having done all, stand firm. And that's where we're going to have to be, is we're going to have those who, who truly believe in standing for biblical moral values, is they're going to have to. And the question becomes is, there are some of the, those 12 Republicans say, well, this this bill protects religious freedoms. This amendment from Susan Collins protects religious freedoms. We don't need this Lee Amendment. But if it does, then why not specifically state that the federal government can't go after these religious organizations? Basically, what does it hurt to pass the Lee Amendment? It doesn't. Because if, if you say this bill, this does what it does, why not just vote for it? You had the votes. You could have voted for it to get the 60 threshold, but you chose not to. Why is that? So now you're specifically leaving out the specific stance of of not allowing the government to go after religious organizations and to continue to have it be open into interpretation. That's very, very concerning there. Um, and then also... Uh, my final thought on this is true believers are going to have to stand up. There will be these cases, and they're going to have to, if they truly believe, to stand firm, possibly be a martyr in some cases, unfortunately, and stand against this agenda and, and, and stand on the side of the Lord. And, and the, the fear of, well, I may lose this, I may lose that, we have to put our trust and our hope in God. And, and we can't cave to, I know that's, that's a, a hard pill to swallow. That's something hard to put somebody through, but the reality is, is number one, this is what our nation was founded upon, was the the ability to be able to have religious freedom. And if we're going to cave on that and allow the government to go forward with this, and somebody put out yesterday is, is who, what power, naturally, legally, does the federal government have to define what marriage is? Marriage is between one man and one woman, legally, historically, biblically. You, like you can't change the definition of words, and that's what they're trying to do right now. Change the definition of words. What is a woman? Well, I don't know. I can't tell you. I'm not a biologist. This is the crazy cycle we're on. And so um, pray for people to be able to stand, to endure, uh, for when these battles come, because they will come after organizations as they already have, adoption agencies, other organizations as well. So there's an issue at play there. Um, a big issue now um, moving forward is the negotiations with the railroad. And I want to play a clip from Bernie Sanders. And, and he says some things that I think is very alarming of where this nation and negotiation is being, I think, played in this whole issue. Because the Biden administration and the Washington Examiner plays this out of how even the rail workers are saying Joe Biden blew it. He had an opportunity months ago to end these negotiations to, you know, what Bernie Sanders and other Democrats and Republicans are claiming for of being able to give these people paid leave for you know, new births, for sickness, etc. But the negotiations with the Biden administration failed because they didn't add this. And the unions are saying, hey, we want this. We want higher pay, et cetera. That's between them and the, and the negotiators. But they're not doing this. They're using this towards their advantage to try to cause a divide with the American people, Republicans and Democrats. And then here is Bernie Sanders 
comments, and, and I want to play this because we got to call this out. we got to pray against this and stand against this ideology. Senator Bernie Sanders, independent of Vermont, says he intends to block the bill until there is a vote on adding paid sick leave, and he joins me now. Um, Senator, first off, what, what powers does the Senate have, Congress have, in terms of this deal? Could you just put paid sick leave into the deal? Can you mandate paid sick leave as a matter of just a congressional Absolutely. law? Yes. In this instance, as a result of long-standing legislation, Congress has the power uh, to come up with an agreement. So that's that answers the question of, well, why is this going to the Congress? Why didn't Joe Biden just deal with it? Why don't negotiators deal with it? Because in order to prevent a strike, a deal that is being reached by the Biden administration and the unions is not going to happen because they're negotiators aren't going to agree to this because guess what it doesn't play well for political theater so of course we have to get bernie sanders out in front of this being our, our spokesperson and saying all this and speaking down against republicans and greedy organizations and and he has some legitimate things if what he's saying is true but the reality is is why didn't biden do this before in order to protect the american economy the president is right the economy would be hurt by a strike. I don't know that anybody wants to see a strike. But here is. The so then why not deal with this before? Bottom line. This is what he's about to say next. It underlines the political game here. The bottom line is that the American people and workers throughout this country are profoundly disgusted by the kind of corporate greed that we are seeing. Why couldn't we be disgusted with the Biden administration who had the authority to give this power? or give these terms in agreement with the union. But no, we passed we passed it before without this, and the Biden administration pushed forward and said, we got this deal, we're not going to have to worry about this, but you you knew this was on the table, you knew they weren't going to vote, these, these unions weren't going to, all of them weren't going to agree to this. And we're going to cause, had enough weight to be able to cause this possible Everybody strike. knows billionaires are getting richer, working people are struggling, corporate profits are at an all-time high okay so you're seeing the the game political game being here of the the moment of all oh, they're being greedy they're greedy corporations that may or may not be true in this situation but the other stance is, is why wasn't this dealt with before this moment of possibly shutting down the entire industry shutting down the entire economy here in the united states of it at a tune of two billion dollars uh, per day uh, right before the holidays during the dead of winter possibly losing people, millions of people, their jobs, hurting millions of people economically on top of everything that's going on. I, I mean, nothing, nothing more than, than the lack of personal responsibility is being shown here by this Biden administration. Yeah, he'll probably get another house out of this too. Uh, somebody asked a question, is not Bernie Sanders a, a, a millionaire? Yeah, every time he runs for president, he gets like two more houses. Um, uh, as a senator, is just completely amazing and millions and millions of more dollars. But I digress. So we're seeing this political game being played. Then we're seeing uh, Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy have a meeting with President Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer about the stimulus bill or more so the government spending bill rather than doing a continuing resolution, which they, they the five leaders of this country are saying is a bad idea and they want to push forward with a omnibus spending bill basically doing things that bernie sanders want not only this rail strike deal or this rail union deal 
but also spending out the wazoo for um, what is it? It's called non-discretionary, uh, non-defensed uh, spending, or non-defense discretionary spending, is basically what that would be. Anything we we will allow you to have your defense spending up a little bit, but then we want mountains and mountains of cash to be able to um, spend however we want. And so we want to pray for our leaders as they're going through these negotiations to have the fear of the Lord, to stand against this Bernie Sanders, the Lord has showed us in a dream, Bernie Sanders spending agenda that will, more so a, a communistic spending agenda, agenda to, that will cripple the next three to four generations uh, because he is in a position to push these type of things forward. He holds the weight. He's somewhat pulling the strings with Schumer and Pelosi. Um, and, and we only have several weeks. Hopefully McConnell and McCarthy don't cave. They have the opportunity to just say, nope, we're not going to do this. Nope, we're not going to vote for it. Because it has to pass the Senate. They, they're going to need Republican votes. And McCarthy and McConnell are saying, when we enter into the new session of Congress next year, we want to have a clean slate. Well, that's nice. What about the future of our country? What about the economy of our country? The positions of when things, decisions are being made and put in front of you. Will you stand up? Or will you just deal to deal to make supposedly your life easier? There's ways around this. They don't have to cave. They've caved before economically. And and this is an issue of something we, we're going to have to deal with. Either way, the cookie crumbles. And so um, we just want to, to stand there, be aware, and be sober about what's going on. And, and understand that the light that the Lord has put upon us is, is going to be needed more in the days ahead than ever before. And that's the hope. That's the, the pressing future for where we're at now with the passage of this Disrespect for Marriage Act is you're going to see true believers, true churches who truly stand in relationship with the Lord, who are going to stand, may have been wicked before, may have been righteous before, but as Ezekiel said, is turn from their wicked ways, repent of their sins, and walk in accordance with the Lord to not walk out these iniquities that they have or would if they allow pride to come and enter in to their lives. So with that, blessings each and every one of you. Don't forget today we'll be praying um, at noon for our, as our Appeal to Heaven prayer with our Olive students and tonight our Wednesday night service. And so we just want to continue to stand knowing that the battle is in front of us, knowing we need to endure and stand with the Lord and have the fear of the Lord to not cave um, to the fear of man in this instance. And that if we don't stay humble and repentant for our own issues, that we could easily get wrapped up and walk um, in step with, away from the Lord. And unfortunately, we don't want to do that. We don't. Our goal here is so that souls can be saved. We stand for the kingdom so that the, the gospel of the kingdom can be spread not only to this nation, but to other nations around the world. So blessings, and I'll see you guys later. Have a good one.